The book of Philippians, only four chapters, and it's a unique book of the Bible. Its theme is joy. Nineteen times the subject of joy or rejoicing is mentioned in these four chapters. Double that, 40 times the person of Jesus is mentioned. What do you think that tells us? Where Jesus, there is joy. Somebody who focuses on Jesus usually has the joy of the Lord. And I hope that's you and I hope that's me. I hope our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, our loved ones, the people that live in our house would know that my dad, my mom, my grandma, my grandpa, my, my, uh, my children, my brother and my sister, they have joy. I think joy is a missing element in many Christians' lives. Don't let it be missing in your life. Paul said, I want to finish my course with joy. Whatever it is you finish, however you finish, you got to finish with the joy of the Lord, and the joy of the Lord will give us our strength. Chapter 4, verse number 4 is a theme verse, and it, you, you're familiar with it, but let's read it together. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 4. Are you ready? Let's read it, to, read it together. Everyone, rejoice. Verse 5 says, let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. When he's in charge and he's at the steering wheel, we can be comfortable and we can have the joy of the Lord. Let's look real quick at the outline of the book. And, uh, but before we do, let me give you a little bit of background. If you want to find out where the church of Philippi was started, it was in Acts chapter 16. It would be a good read for you tonight when you go home. You're thinking about something to read. Read the book of Acts in one chapter, chapter 16. The Apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey. He has gone on one journey already. And he and Barnabas have been friends for probably 13 years. But they had been sent out of the church of Antioch on purpose to go to the ends of the earth, to go to the Gentile people. Paul would make it his, his uh, protocol. He would go to a city and he would go to the Jew first and go to the, uh, to, to the synagogue and try to share the gospel with them. And then he would launch from that to go into the Gentile people. Well, in the second missionary journey, he uh, goes to Lystra and he's got a new partner. Barnabas and him had uh, separated. Barnabas took his nephew, John Mark. They went on to Cyprus and, and uh, Paul and Silas came together and they started going. They went by the city of Lystra and in Lystra they found... Uh, a young man that, that had been saved, no doubt, on his first journey there. You know what happened in Lystra on Paul's first time there? Yeah, that's where he was stoned and left for dead outside the city. Probably Timothy, as a young teenager, 13, 14 years old, probably saw Paul resurrect <laughs> and, and get up. And he was probably standing there with his grandmother, uh, 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 let's see, his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And, and he got saved in that thing. Now, he had a Greek father, and his Greek dad would probably teach him about Aristotle and, and uh, Socrates and Plato, and he would teach him a lot of Greek stuff. And his mom and dad, his mother and his grandmother taught him about Moses and Elijah and the Ten Commandments. They were Christians. They were Jews, and dad was a Greek. But that young man, when the time that Paul went the first time came back, he had a good testimony of all the church families in the region of Lystra. People had taken note that this kid wasn't just an average kid. This kid loved the Lord. And he had a good testimony, and Paul saw it. And he went, probably went to his mom and his grandma and said, Hey, listen, can I take him on me? I'm going to go to the next place. 
And Paul left out wanting to go to Bethania and God would let him, wanted to go to Asia. God would let him go. The Holy Spirit said no. He said, where do you want me to go? And God gave him a Macedonian call. God gave him a, a, a vision of a man in Macedonia. That's Philippi. That's Berea. That's Thessalonica. That said, come over and help us. And boy, when God gave Paul the vision, then the next verse says, and we assayed to go to Macedonia. It's a beautiful thing, is that God uses the leadership of one and the fellowship of many to get things accomplished. And so they went to Philippi, that's where they went to the town, and there was Silas and Paul and Timothy. I think that Dr. Luke also joined them in the city of Philippi. He was from Philippi, or that's where the journey began with him. And of course, Luke wrote the book of Luke. He wrote the book of Acts. And uh, he's a very good, he, the longest books of our New Testament are Luke and Acts. And because he's very thorough, very detailed, he's a teacher. Uh, he didn't preach any messages, but he was very good. He interviewed lots of eyewitnesses. And he says, I have perfect knowledge. He goes, I think I understand what happened from the very beginning. That's why we had the clearest story of the birth of Jesus, Luke chapter 1 and 2, because Luke did a lot of investigative work under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. But he also became Paul's constant physician and companion. Paul had no doubt some physical issues and some challenges. If you had been beaten as many times as he'd been beaten, you'd have physical problems too. And may have had some eye issues and some situations. Some people believe he struggled with depression. I don't know what his thorn in the flesh is. He asked God to take it away. And the Bible is very clear in 2 Corinthians that God says, no, I don't think I'm going to take it away. I think I just need to exchange your desire for my grace. And he said, well, my grace is sufficient. I'll glory in the difficulties, the infirmities I have that, that Christ might be glorified in me and the gospel might be preached. Well, when he walked into Philippi, there was uh, no synagogue. Usually we go to the synagogue, but to have a synagogue, you needed to have at least 10 Jewish families. And uh, that was the foundation of a synagogue. So probably there wasn't a synagogue in the, in the, in the uh, city of Philippi. But if you didn't have a synagogue, it would be normal for Jewish people to go to a body of water whether it be a lake or a river, they would go. So Paul goes down the body of water and he finds a girl named Lydia. She was a businesswoman, a seller of purple from Thyatira and from the Asia Minor. And she was there. Her husband lived in Philippi. She had a family there. And her and her girlfriends were down by the river praying, but not with the knowledge of the gospel. And Paul had the joy to lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And while he stayed in that city, other people began to come to know Christ as their Savior. And one demon-possessed damsel would go around and follow him around and say, These are the servants of the Most High God who bring to us the way of salvation. She was demon-possessed. She was a fortune teller. And she, her gifts were being prostituted by men who would get money. They would say, Hey, she can tell your, you can tell your fortune. Well, uh, okay, tell her. Well, you have to give me some money. And they would give money and they, she would tell the fortune. But it would be demonically induced. And so she was giving them unwanted advertisement. And, it, and everywhere they went, she would show up. When they would try to study the Bible, she would show up. When they would try to talk, witness someone, she would come. 
and aggravate. And what I've seen that happen sometimes when I'm soul winning and trying to do something important, there's just some aggravations that happen. People come and people ask dumb questions. You know, I've been discipling people and then I have, a, have someone from a different religion come and want to start arguing with me at the table. I said, you know, I didn't ask you to come see me. <laughs> I'm, I'm witnessing to this person right here, but they'll just come. And I think that Satan aggravates people and causes things and Horns, not, horns blow and babies cry and dogs bark and all, phones ring. All kinds of things happen whenever you're trying to do the work of the Lord. And this girl kept showing up in the bad places. And after many days, and I th- this is something I think is important for all of us to understand, is that sometimes we're real quick on the trigger. But I think Paul, in his wisdom and also the Holy Spirit's help, understood that he, uh, he could pull the trigger on that first day and that second day. But after many days of putting up with this frustration, aggravating, demonically possessed damsel, he finally said, all right, enough is enough. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you come out of her. Well, the, the demon came out and the girl was happy. But so did the possession that came out, so did the ability to tell fortunes, and the guys who were prostituting her gifts were not happy. It hit them in the pocketbook, and they went down to the police station, they stirred up the magistrates, and they said, these guys come here, they're messing up everything in Philippi, all they were messing up is their income. <laughs> That's all they were messing up. But they got, they got everybody all riled up, and they grabbed them, they brought them down to the city hall, they pulled their clothes off of them, they beat them. And then they they sent them down to the jail. The jailer thought he had some hardened criminals. He put them in the inner uh, prison. He didn't know who he was dealing with, but he he was all caught up in it. And he put them in there in stocks and bonds and and, in chains and right in the middle. And he realized after a while, he didn't, you know, I don't think these guys are quite the hardened criminals because they were praying and they were singing and they were gracious and kind. They weren't cussing him. And at midnight, an earthquake came, and of course, you know the story, many of you do, where the, story, the, the earthquake came and all their, their, their freedom came with the, with the chains coming off, the doors opening, and uh, he thought, either they're going to kill me tonight or I'm going to get killed tomorrow morning when my boss shows up and there's no prisoners here. If, you, if, you're, gonna, if you're, gonna let, you're gonna take care of prisoners, you, your, your life depended upon it. And so he was going to kill himself, or so Paul thought, and of course, in the middle of the night, And if he cries out, do thyself no harm. Don't hurt yourself. We're still here. And he went in and he brought them out of the prison. And when he brought them out to where his guard shack was, he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And uh, they said, well, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be saved. Your whole home can be, your whole house can be saved. So speaking of the house, I live right down the street here. Let's go. And he went down there. And there they took water and heated it up and took care and washed their wounds. He introduced them to the family. The family got saved. And that night, the same hour of the night, after they got saved, they got baptized. And then, of course, Paul had to leave the next day. He spent a little time at Lydia's house after the magistrates came down. He said, not so fast. We're Roman citizens. And you beat us without a trial. We got papers. You can't do that. And they found out, they came down, I think he got some of his mission support out of that situation. I think he probably got some money, some lunch money. How much will it take for you not to tell Rome about this? And he said, I don't know, how much do you think it needs to take? I don't know. That's in between the lines there. But I imagine there was some uh, money exchange and given. And Paul goes down to Lydia's house. They enjoy a meal and they make their way over to Thessalonica. Well, when they get to Thessalonica... 
the Bible says they were there three Sabbath days. So it's either, you know, that's uh, three times seven, 21 days, less than a month. They're there. And two times back to back, the church of Philippi got together. That little group, Lydia, her husband, the damsel, the Philippian jailer and his family. When they got together, they said, you know what? Paul's good at making tents, but he's better at preaching the gospel. Why don't we do this? Why don't we get some money together, get a care package, you bring stuff from your house, and we'll send someone over there 25, 30 miles. Two times in three weeks, they went and they brought him missionary support. So he would not have to work when he went over there. He could use his time to preach the gospel. That's where we get our, that's why we take our missions offering. We get that from that church right there. Matter of fact, the church was a happy church. It was a church of rejoicing. They had well done. They did the right thing. They were rare. He said, no other church did this, but you only. He said, all the other churches, we gave them the gospel. They appreciated that, but they never gave us money. They never supported us for the next place. You're the only church that did that. And he said, you didn't just do it one time. You did it once and again. Why, in just a few, short few minutes after we left you, a few weeks after we left you, you kept on giving, and you've done it many times in our ministry. And Paul uh, showed them, he said, because of that, my goodness, there's fruit in your account. I'm full. I have all that I need to keep on doing the gospel work. Is it because you've given to me the heart of God is rejoiced and it's a sweet-smelling sweet smelling savor in the, in the nostrils of God? And my God shall supply all your... He said, he said because you've given, God's going to help you. He's going to help you when you have a need. This is one of the reasons pastor has no qualms with asking us to give to world evangelization. But I think it's when we give that God begins to meet our needs, not just financial needs emotional needs, no needs when we're lonely, when we're frustrated, needs when we need to resist Satan. I find oftentimes people who get in sin have stopped giving a long time ago. Honestly, they don't tithe. They don't give to the missions. They just, they just, they, and I'm not saying you do that and you can do what you want to do, but I find it's a, it's a, it, it's a protection. Where your treasure is there, your marriages that are strong are marriages that give to each other. You're having a hard time with your marriage? Start investing in your marriage and your heart will stay there. You're frustrated with your husband and wife? Start investing in them and wherever you invest, your heart will go. Why does God want us to give to the Lord? Not because he needs our money. He wants our attention. And where we give, our heart follows. Well, this church was a model of that. It's an amazing church. And it's a church that Paul especially loved. He said, oh, you're my beloved, dearly beloved. Stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. He loved them deeply. And uh, I think the love was reciprocated. It was, a, it was going both ways. He loved them, they loved him. And Paul is in a prison, or he's in a high, I think he's in a hired house. I think he's in a rented house in Rome on his first missionary journey, on his first imprisonment in Rome. He's there and he has a prison guard come every day uh, to sit with him, and, all, and one at night, and he, 24 hours a day, he has a prison, a Roman soldier there. I think that's why he wrote Ephesians so well when he talked about, put on the whole armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of the, 
uh, of righteousness, the having your, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and, and having your loins girt about with truth, and having the shields. Because I think he, he saw it every day. <laughs> A guy knocked, my turn, you're gone, see you tomorrow. Next guy sit down there, pull off his big helmet and put it down, I'm sure, and sit in the same room while Paul and, and, and Luke are sitting in there in that house writing letters to the churches that they had started. Well, this is where this letter had, but Paul got a visit from Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus got so sick coming there, he almost died. The Bible says God saved him and helped me, Paul says. Boy, if he had died, that would have just been sorrow upon sorrow. But Epaphroditus, I don't know if he was a jailer. I don't know if he's Lydia's husband. I don't know if he's a pastor or one of the converts there. But his name was Epaphroditus, and he had gone from, from Philippi and found Paul in Rome knocked on his door and brought him another care package, another pile of cash, another bag of coins, Roman coins, something to help him. And when he came, he said, Moe, and now at last your care of me have flourished again. It's a beautiful story of God's provision to the Apostle Paul and the love that he had for them and the love they had for him. Let's just real quickly look at the outline. I've got to hasten. Number one, joy in suffering. Chapter one, joy in going through difficult times. He tells them, I don't want you. Look at verse number 13. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest to all the palace and all other places. He said, I've been arrested and I've been, and, and everyone knows me in the palace, they knows me in other places, but my difficulties have fallen, fallen out to the furtherance of the gospel, verse number 12. Number two, chapter two is of joy and service. He said, I want you to have the attitude that's right. He speaks of, of Timothy, how that he has no man like-minded who will naturally care, service. Chapter three, joy in the Savior. That's where he said stuff like, um, I press toward the mark of the prize of high calling of God, or, or that I might win Christ. He said, you know, I, I, all I want, I just, I want to be found in him. He was really passionate about Jesus, and, and he said joy, in, not only in suffering, difficult times. By the way, do you like difficult times? No. Do you think Paul loved them? No. But you can have joy in your trial, and you should. And the joy of the Lord will be your strength to get through your trial. And joy is not something we can get at Walmart or Sam's Club. You have to get it from the Lord and the Holy Spirit of God. But you have joy in your difficulties. You can have joy in your service. By the way, we ought to serve the Lord with. Don't go out to the bus and say, oh, i got to drive again. Don't put your, put your nursery, uh, your nursery uh, vapor on and say, well, here's another hard day I'm doing. No. They've got to, this is what I get to do. I get to serve the Lord. I have the opportunity to do this. And boy, that's a checkup from the neck up. That's just understanding. Joy in Jesus. And then lastly, joy in surrendering. And surrendering our rights, surrendering our resources, our, our responses, choosing to have joy and surrendering our resources. Real quick, a couple facts. I just need to walk through the rest of it with you. The joy is a key theme, and it's referenced 19 times. The key theme of the book is joy. The book of Philippians was written from a jail cell or possibly a hired house while Paul was imprisoned in Rome. Number three, the church of Philippi was founded on Paul's second missionary journey. You can see it in Acts 16. Verse number four, 
Though incarcerated, Paul had four things. He had his pen. He had his prayers. He had purpose. And he had a pulpit. He had an opportunity to talk to people. And by the way, you know what? When, you, when you're going through difficult times, you can write. You can pray. You can understand that God has a purpose for your difficult time. And you can have a platform in which you can share the gospel with somebody. Say, Pastor, what about COVID? You know, in COVID, what we had? <laughs> you can still write. You can still pray. You can still find purpose. And you can still talk to people about Jesus Christ. It's something all of us can do. People good of excuses are usually not good at anything else. Well, don't offer excuses. Let's offer opportunities. Look at the next thing real quickly. The lesson to ponder. Joy is not dependent upon outward circumstances. Because we rejoice in the Lord how often? And who do we rejoice in? The Lord. Not in circumstances, not in pain, not in rejection, not in difficult times, not in financial reversals. We rejoice in the Lord. Good. Number two, value most a right relationship with Christ. Can we look at chapter 3 and let's read this and then we'll um, make one more statement and be done. Chapter 3, verse 10, here's what the Apostle Paul said. You know, he said, look, I, he tells a little bit about who, what, is, what his resume is in chapter 3 because some people have been saying some negative things about him. But he said, I don't really care about that. I count all that thing that I have done before. I count a loss and I could win Christ. Verse number 10, look at it with me. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of and being made conformable unto his death. So tell me what that verse is about. Yeah, it's about the gospel and it's about the person of Jesus. He said, I'm not, I'm not looking for a pat in the back. I'm not looking for affirmation. I'm looking for Jesus that I might know him. Look at verse number 11, the Bible says, If by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead, as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, that I may be apprehended, that I may apprehend that which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, I have not arrived, but this one thing I do. Boy, it would be good if all of us got good at one thing, and that's pursuing Jesus. Forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. Read verse 14 with me. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. Very good. He said, I'm just trying to do one thing. I want to please him. I want to please the Lord Jesus. I'm pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This would be a good thing. It would be a game changer for my life and your life. It would change everything. It would change our witnessing. It would change our parenting. It would change uh, my being a good husband for my wife, Linda, you being a good husband, a good son, good sister, good brother, a good friend, a good roommate. Everything would change if Jesus were our priority. And then the last thing it says here is learn contentment. Learn contentment. Chapter 4, verse 11, and this is our last verse we'll look at. It. Look at it if you would, please. And, of course, he received the gift from Epaphroditus. He's very happy. But he says, it's not because I, I speak in respect of once. not like that I have to have your gift because I've learned for I've learned in whatsoever state or situation I'm in therewith to be. Are you a contented person this evening? Do you say I would be happy if 
If you had one, two, three, A, B, C, X, Y, Z, whatever, are you a contented person? The Bible says godliness with is great gain. Because I've learned, I've, I've figured this out. If I can sleep in the Hilton or under the stars, I can be, I can be happy. I can be content. If I have filet mignon or a, pea, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I can figure it out. If I have a lot or a little, if I'm healthy or I'm not healthy, I have learned that in this situation, I can be content. Contentment is understanding that God's given me everything I need right now to be, to be happy. If I'm not happy, it's not, it's not God's fault, it's mine. And it's something that, that the book of Philippians teaches us.